Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Biff Bites Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Mee, joined in the studio once again by the illustrious duo, Mr. Adam Shear and Mike Long. How's it going, boys? Hello, Jerry. <laughs> Hello, Adam. <laughs> Hello, Hello, Newman. Newman. <laughs> so, I thanks to you, CFP nerds. I have a forthcoming suspension, the episode suspension coming from the commish. So, you know, thanks for everything <laughs> with that challenge. And and I, I had you down as character witnesses and all the commissioner told me was, yeah, they said you're a real character. Uh, and that's all. So anyway, <laughs> I got an episode suspension to serve at some point in the future. So anyway. But it's so great to be here with you guys. I, I think it's <laughs> funny that your uh, your suspension just happens to line up with your uh, your vacation to Disney World. You know, it's, it's, it's weird how that lines up. <laughs> uh, well, we are back in the studio once again, continuing our snake draft of the CFP topics. And we are in Adam's wheelhouse this week. We got tax on the docket today. Oh boy, he probably couldn't sleep last night. I didn't <laughs> sleep last night. I w- I was revisiting picks. I was crawling through the pubs. Uh, I'm I'm exhausted, guys. But but you know I'm getting through on pure adrenaline here. This is tax planning. Let's go. <laughs> pure yeah, adrenaline and Red my Bull. favorite. Sorry, go ahead, Jerry. There's pure adrenaline and Red Bull flowing through Adam's veins. But I do have to tell you, one of my favorite things about the Biff Review is Adam's IRS pub crawl. It's it, it's epic. It's uh, it's very misleading. You know, in it my is. day, a pub a pub crawl meant a lot different than uh, crawling through IRS publications. That's not what I thought I was signing up for. But I, I think know it's BYOB, <laughs> so you could revisit some crawl. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, you know, it's it's uh I think we learned this Jerry when, with our last episode that that having a snappy title can get some clicks, right? Yeah, I, I think Adam's they call it IRS click, pub crawl. That's yes, clickbait. <laughs> it's your attention. And and what disappointment when they show up and see <laughs> see what it's <laughs> Should we dive into our picks for this week, gentlemen? I believe Adam, you're going first this time. Oh yeah, no. I mean, even if I weren't, I was just going to jump ahead. You're just going to uh, go first, you know, <laughs> or order be damned. <laughs> it was assumed he had honors this week. <laughs> All right, with my first pick, we're going front page of the front of the 1040 form. We're going right down to the bottom. I am drafting taxable income as my first pick. Okay, taxable income. But hold on, uh, I know, I know, this is. This is what causes the tax rate to get applied, right? And that's true. We jump to the marginal tables from taxable income. But here's the deal. When we're talking about tax scenarios, one of the things that we need to be ever mindful of is reducing taxable income through all of the different ways that you can do that for a different taxpayer. So if you get a sense of where that falls in your tax flow and you understand the stuff that happens before it, you're going to be able to navigate some of those tax planning questions. Another piece of taxable income is that taxable income serves as the floor for us to calculate the coveted capital gains at those preferred rates of 0, 15, and 20. Uh, But taxable income 
flows through a whole lot of stuff. Uh, this is one of those picks where I think I get a lot of value out of it. Uh, just because there's a lot that goes before it, there's some critical stuff that happens after it. Knowing what it is, how it works, uh, is is going to make a difference in your studies. So taxable income for me, pick one. Well, reluctantly, I have to tell you, that's pretty solid first pick. Five-star recruit there, because uh, it does. You said it. It threads through so many things. You've For that exam, we have to be well-grounded with, with that flow and what goes where. And I've always said all these years, uh, look at your own tax return. Uh, you know, Print out the 1040, walk, walk, walk through the lines and see where it comes from and see how it feeds in uh, from the other forms. Uh, and a lot of times we just want to go through the books, but I, this is an area where we really need to do a little extra work and, and actually study forms and instructions to forms. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah. They're a gold mine. The instructions are so valuable. If you have, if you have questions on a tax topic, definitely Mike. Awesome. Good pick. Good pick. I mean, kind of basic, but, uh, you know, you do you, you do you. <laughs> <laughs> you totally player. Play different positions. <laughs> All right, Michael, it is your turn. It's my turn. All right, I am going with my first pick. Uh, something that I would be so shocked if it ever does not appear on the exam, and that is kitty tax. And and not only just the calculation, but also what kind of things could generate. Uh, kitty tax exposure. So I I was glad that one was still available for me to grab uh, in making my selections. What do you think about that? Yeah, uh, I would also caution to students to be very careful with kitty tax uh, when they're doing their research because kitty tax has flip-flopped and changed like three or four times over the last five years. Uh, so even fairly recent articles online are going to be out of date. So you got to be really, really sure that whatever you're reading about kitty tax is the most up-to-date uh, information, because uh, otherwise you might end up studying something that's completely wrong. Yeah, it's a good call, Jerry. I think it's changed four times, three or four times in the past yeah. five years. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I that's think a good pick, Mike. Good in pick. a pecking order, you know, master just the unearned income piece and don't get wound up if the child also has earned income. Mm-hmm. Um I think that's less likely than just a straight up. They've got unearned income. And, and so what's going to happen here, but do, do you feel that way, Adam, or do you think that Absolutely. The, the earned income thing should be a priority too? You know, we, we share the earned income and under and unearned income, the combo in our materials. But what I always tell the students when we get to that point is um, your priority is to understand the kitty tax flow, get your mental checklist together, uh, as to what triggers that, right? Under 19, full-time student, under 24, unearned income. Um, and, you know, that's where we start working our process. We're above that 2,500 threshold in, in 2023. And then you just you plug the numbers in. Um, one extra little wrinkle here is is just, like we always say, RTFQ, RTFA. Really understand what they're asking for here because technically the kitty tax is the amount that the parents pay at their highest marginal rate. Um, there's a piece of this that the child pays at their tax rate, but that is not the kitty tax. The kid doesn't pay the kitty tax. The parents pay the kitty tax. Uh, 
solid pick, Mike. That's that's a CFP evergreen right there. Thank you. Good stuff. All right. I got double picks. We're snake drafting. So I get to pick back to back. And my first pick is definitely got to be above the line and below the line deductions package deal, getting that two for one. Uh, You need to know you're above the line and below the line deductions in order to be able to calculate a client's uh, tax bill, basically, and not just the tax bill, but basically everything along the entire list. So, you know, at the very top, we have gross income. And then from gross income, we subtract the above the line deductions. And then that arrives us at the line. And for those who don't know, the line that everyone refers to in above the line and below the line is AGI, adjusted gross income. So we got gross income at the very top, subtract from that above the line deductions, that gives us AGI. And that's a very important number for many other reasons I won't get into right now. And then subtracted from AGI is either your below the line deductions, or alternatively, you can do the standard deduction, and then you arrive at taxable income. So by knowing the above the line and below the line, you can really kind of navigate the entire course uh, to take a client from gross income to taxable income to figure out what their tax bill is. Uh, and as a little bonus, I'm going to give uh, our students a tip here. You don't actually need to memorize the below the line deductions because there's a lot of them. Do you know offhand how many below the line deductions there are, Adam? No, I don't know the specific number. But there's a lot. <laughs> there, there's more than it's really convenient to memorize. Where on the other hand, there's only about, I think it's 16 above the line deductions. And of those 16, only half of them are really tested on. Um, you know, certain above the line deductions like National Guard uh, moving expenses, those yeah. don't get tested on. Mm-hmm. Uh, teacher school supply expense deduction, that doesn't get tested on. So really, there's only about eight-ish uh, above the line deductions you need to know. So IRA contributions, HSA contributions, uh, 401k contributions, alimony before 2018, You know, if you just memorize those eight important above the line deductions, you're good to go there. And then if it's not one of those eight deductions, well, then it's got to be a below the line deduction. So just by process of elimination, you get the whole list by only memorizing a very small portion of it. So that hopefully will save our students a little bit of time as they're preparing for the exam. You know, Jerry, I I love this pick because I love reducing tax bills. However, I'm inclined to throw the flag here. Oh um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're going to use the, the tax form and schedules test uh, to prove that these are actually two separate concepts. Um, <laughs> oh boy. That you're putting under the umbrella as our commissioner likes to say. And um, Adam's got the commission on, uh, I mean, on speed, he's on speed. Dial, speed dial. So beware. Jared. Just, just call me Rihanna. Cause it's under my umbrella. Under right. umbrella. <laughs> um, we got, we got schedule one part two for your above the lines. schedule a for the below the lines. I mean, I, you know what? I'm, I'm going to show some restraint here because I, I blame the IRS. I, I love deductions. I love deductions. <laughs> I love what what they offer for taxpayers, and and I think these are are very gettable and important points. And I really appreciate your point 
of paring down those above the lines to what counts and um below he's the just lines, trying to get you to sign and trade jerry he, you... he wants them both i smell this i mean it would look really nice with taxable income that's all i'm saying you know so, that that would really make my tax team feel more complete or that was um, your next pick and now it's yes off, it's off the table <laughs> Oh boy. Well, for my my follow-up pick, hopefully this is a less controversial one. Uh I'm going with a very real world applicable topic. Uh, you know, a lot of people are dealing with it, especially in today's real estate market, and that is the illustrious 1031 exchange. Super important topic, uh, very highly testable topic as well. And it's also just a, a really good topic to know because you might find yourself in the position uh, that you might be engaging in a 1031 exchange in, in your life. So for those who don't know, 1031 exchange is basically a way to exchange one piece of property for another piece of property and defer the capital gains taxes on it. So, you know, let's say I own a a piece of real estate and it has some significant capital gains taxes on it and I'm done with that real estate I want to move on to another piece of property but you know let's say I have $500,000 of capital gains taxes on it if I sell that property I'm going to get hit with a really hefty tax bill on it and then if I was just planning on taking that money and buying another piece of property uh you know I'd basically be Paying all my uh paying all my taxes, losing a huge chunk of of my sale price, you know, to Uncle Sam, and then turning around and buying another piece of property uh with with less money. So instead, I'll engage in a 1031 exchange and basically uh myself and the uh, other individual, if I can convince them to, we we essentially just swap properties. You know, I get their property. They get my property and we both get to defer our capital gains sales taxes. Um, you know, there's some little more complications in there that I won't get into on this podcast, namely involving uh, Das Boot, as uh, as we like to call it. Uh, that's a, a fun little uh, part of uh, 1031 exchanges that you're going to have to know as far as how the taxes work with it. But definitely a super important topic uh, for the exam because I pretty much see it tested on every single cycle. You're going deep, man. Yeah, Super deep. Really thought about these. <laughs> He's been hitting the gym, the CFP nerd gym. I'm going for that final trophy. I mean, at the end of this, uh, we're going to be ha- asking the listeners to vote who had the best uh, team. And I'm just laying out all of my strengths for uh, all of those sweet, sweet votes. Yeah, well, that's going to be in vain. But anyway, I respect that. <laughs> I respect the research you're doing. But I... Uh, I never really knew much about uh, like kind of exchanges, um, but in studying for the exam, uh, students have heard me say over the years that that I knew one thing basically, and that was that boot received is taxable to the extent of gain uh, in the exchange. And I and I Bart Simpson it. I just wrote it over and over and over. Like on the I don't know what it means, but I know it does this. I'm writing it, and you know what? Uh, I had two questions on my exam that involved boot. One of them was cash, uh, and the other one was um, involved uh, assuming a mortgage. And uh, I knew I got them both right because I could just see myself writing that they're receiving boot, they're receiving boot. So uh, yeah, it's I I agree that there's 
there's there's going to be one or more questions almost every exam cycle on exchanges. Yeah, and they could go as as deep as what is the recognized gain here if you don't set up that 1031 correctly. Um and you you do have boot received, right? But I I also really think if you just know the the basics here, you you can play ball, right? Yeah. If you just know it's realty for realty, that has to be at the core of the the swap um for for business owners. Yeah, you're you're getting points. You're getting yep. potential points out there. Yeah, for sure. And and that's really who it's mostly for is business owners because you can't do a 1031 exchange with personal property. Correct me if I'm wrong, or you know, primary nope. residence, I should say. No, sir. Uh, it ha- it has to be you know a a business property, either like a storefront or a warehouse or um, you know uh, any other property that you would really use in business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, business for business, realty. Um, yeah, and and just boot is the extra stuff. It's those, it's sweetener, sweetening the pot so that you have a more balanced exchange if it's set up properly. But if you don't set it up properly and someone's walking away with more than another person, then boot is what causes the taxes to kick in. Yep. Um, I, I actually, I helped uh, my mechanic out with this. You know, he was, uh, he was moving garages. He wanted to sell his current garage and upgrade to a better, fancier garage. And I was talking to him like, oh, have you considered a 1031 exchange? And he's like, no, I had no idea what that is. And then he looked into it, you know, talked to his accountant and his advisor and and he's like, oh, this is a great idea. So I got, I got a, I got a free oil change out of that just for, uh, <laughs> I was going to ask you that if you were working at first services, he's like, yeah, save me a bunch of money on my taxes. <laughs> Jerry, I'd say that was very like kind of you. Very uh, like, like oh, kind exchange. <laughs> oh my side. Stop it. I'm laughing so This is Adam from the Biff Crew. Now, if you're listening into the podcast and you're finding our conversations of interest, if you're finding the material that we talk about helpful, if you're looking to take your knowledge of personal financial planning to the next level, then you need to consider the Bryant University and Biff CFP education program. This program was written and it's delivered by the Biff team. And one of the things that we pride ourselves on is being accessible to serve as your guides and support you for the entire CFP education journey. And all throughout that journey, you have access to practitioners and to experts that are gonna help you to understand these concepts and also help to best prepare you for your CFP exam. So if you're looking for a CFP education program with great support and the Biff Bites crew, then the Bryant University Biff CFP Education is for you. For more information, visit bryantcfp.com. For my next pick, uh, I'm going with Section 121, uh, Gain Exclusion on the Sale of uh, uh, Residence. Uh, I think this is another uh, highly likely um I mean, the real estate thing right now is kind of wonkers with rates being where they are. Um, but uh, anyway, it lives in CFP exam anyway. And uh, I think we need to understand how that works, uh, um, both the numbers part of it on how much can be excluded, but then also um, how the ownership test uh, and the usage test 
uh, uh, applies, particularly with a, a married filing jointly uh, couple that only one needs satisfy the ownership test in two of the last uh, five years, uh, but both need to satisfy the uh, usage uh, test and watch for that because you might have a question on the exam where uh, one spouse uh, has not been there 24 months, has not lived in the home 24 months, but they might be eligible for a partial uh, exclusion. Uh, so this is one I would, uh, honestly, this is another pub I would study uh, in, in, in my exam prep is just get the pub. And uh, off the top of my head, I'm, I don't know what pub that is. Is it, do you know off the top of your head? I do not, no. <clears throat> don't know which one that is exactly. Um, yeah, I don't remember that one off the top of my head. Um, so, um, yeah, just um, understand those two components, basically, and that, um, you know, each could qualify for what is it, 250000 to be excluded. And... Um, and watch for a question that has a partial, uh, you know, if, uh, oh, I think it's medical reasons or they get a new job in a city uh, far away. But watch for a question where the spouse moves into the home that the other one has lived in over the years and hates it. And the reason for moving is they hate it. Uh, that one's not going to fly for the partial uh, exclusion, but any of those setups uh, are fair game for the exam. And even, you know, you can't really argue that that's uh, unforeseen circumstances, which is one of the reasons for reduced exclusion. I don't know that hating the house would fly like that in uh, in tax court. Hated it. Uh, <laughs> it's pub 523 is the nice. uh, publication uh, number, publication 523. Uh, so anyway, I thought that was a pretty good second uh, second pick. I'm on a roll here, guys, if you haven't noticed, but I got, I got a really <laughs> strong graph going today. Rushing it. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like, uh, Mike, Mike maybe got some insider info from, from my, my draft team here. That, that was, that was my next pick just cause I know, I know it's been on there and, and all the other reasons you laid out, Mike. So I'm no, no. disappointed right that. now for, for me, but but very glad for the students that are, are going to know to study this and especially those reduced exclusions. I think those are, those are really crucial um, on this topic. Don't just get the numbers. Don't, don't just understand, you know, the maximum numbers. It's not going to be tested that way. It's not going to be that easy. So what are you going to substitute then? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm you better very pressured right now. Cause it's your um, pick. Yeah, I know. And I'm yeah. feeling very pressured and, you just uh, pass. Uh, has that ever happened? You know, I'm not, I'm not much for watching, you know, the NFL draft or anything like that. Has anyone just been like, oh, we're good. Yeah, we're, we're good. good. <laughs> I'm good. There's no one we want. <laughs> uh, poor Jimmy sitting on the bench up there. <laughs> no one's picking him for the NFL team. <laughs> yeah. I felt that way in childhood on choosing basketball teams before. <laughs> yeah. We're good. We'll just play with four. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's rough. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, uh, this I'm just gonna throw this one out there. This will be my this will be my. I got two in a row, so this is I'm gonna buy some time. But I think it's something that's valuable. Okay, we're going really big picture here. Um, this is this is something I feel like would be really 
beneficial for students to run through as an as an exercise as a kind of like tax workout is to figure out the tax character of different types of income okay so we know that income could have a lot of different uh varieties right we we can have something that's taxable at ordinary income like your earned income um you have things that are taxable as uh, capital gains property, right? We talked about the 0, 15, 20 uh, for your your stocks, right? For your mutual funds that have gains or losses. Um, there are some quirky ways that we can we can navigate tax character. Uh, we had the podcast recently on section 1231, right? Where it's kind of both. You, if, if you have a qualifying property, you sell it above original basis, it's cap gains, you sell it below your adjusted basis, it's going to be an ordinary loss. So um, this and many, many more. Um, I think knowing how to line up the the type of income to the investment vehicle, uh, to the to the situation, uh, and there's there's a ton of this stuff. I think once you start creating your list, you're going to see, oh, what about annuities that are withdrawn? What about annuities that are annuitized? Um, what about different loans? Are loans going to be considered income? When does that become income? What about forgiven loans, right? So you can start going down the line and really piecing these together. But the reason I think this is going to be a valuable thing to note in your studies uh, for the students out there is that the answer options can jumble these. And I think if you are really clear on the tax character of income coming from whatever place it's coming from, right? that you can eliminate choices that increases your odds of getting to the best answer sooner. And it's one of those threads that goes to all the other topics, right? I mean, we we say taxes is really quietly everywhere in CFP world. Well, this is one of those key threads because this is going to flow through to tax character problems in the state and retirement and insurance. Uh, So I'll, I'll take tax character, uh, for income sources as my next pick. In I like that pick. Uh, and you're just giving me the idea where I would do this if I were studying for the CFP exam is this would be a great study group activity to round table tax character and just think together on all and, and everybody, everybody pitches in different kinds of uh, assets and the nature of the, uh, uh, of the income it generates. So I, I like that. I just think it'd be a good one to go around the table and and think through together. And we 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 really encourage our students to get into uh, into study groups and and we use our online community that we sponsor to for our folks to find study partners. And this is something I would really encourage them to put on the list of things to talk about together. Yeah, get organized on that. I mean, it's definitely what we like to call right. Mike and Jerry says, this is a tabled type of concept, right? You just put, you know, types of income, right? Ordinary income. Spreadsheetable. Capital, yeah. Spreadsheetable. Yeah. Um, and free. what I like to do with that is, is uh, start with it blank and this have your, uh, uh, you know, your row title and your column and, and just start filling it in. And, mm-hmm. and one by one, you start to master each, of the of the assets or types of income you have on there. Yeah, yeah. good, good uh, exercise in in group independently. Um, I guess I'm up next, right? 
I think I got I this was my my planned third pick I'm heading into here. Uh I Jerry went with deductions, right? Which are going to help us reduce taxable income, but after taxable income, one of the key tax benefits are credits. Uh credits are going to offer dollar for dollar offset of your tax liability. Uh, they're more specific to the taxpayer, right? So we have to be mindful of, of who we're looking at here. Is this a, a business owner? Is this someone that's going back to school? Is this someone with children? Uh, is this someone maybe that's a lower income earner? And knowing which tax credits are going to be on the table. But with a couple of these, you got to go You got to go pretty deep. Uh, I think one of the key ones are your education tax credits. Yeah. LLC, AOTC. Uh, know these not just by the amounts, but how we get to the amounts, right? So you're not going to get the points just with 2,500 for AOTC and 2,000 for LLC max. You need to know how it's calculated. You need to know who qualifies. You need to know whether this is a per student credit or a per return credit. All right. So this is just on those two, you can go pretty deep. Um, but I, I like obviously what they do in the tax flow. I like how nicely you can you can connect them to a person to an actual scenario, and uh, there's just a there's a lot of good stuff here. Uh, I'd I'd say beyond that, really get to know child independent care credit, uh, be familiar with child and additional child tax credits, and uh, know the difference between refundable non refundable. How one can possibly kick you back some bucks, how another one just stops at zero, right? Just that's your limit. So. That's my third and final pick, and I'm I'm feeling great about that one. Okay. Yeah, I was just going to ask you about that refundable, how far to go with refundable and non-refundable. That question might not even involve math. Uh, it might just be conceptual, and you just answered it, mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, the refundable ones can actually create a refund uh, on the return. Um, so I'm glad you threw that in there at the, at the end of that, that pick. Pretty good. Thank you very much. All right, Mike, what's your final pick? My final pick is passive activity losses for rental real estate. Ooh, this is an exotic pick, you guys. Um, so I, this is a topic for me that can get very confusing very quickly. Uh, but for the CFP exam, uh, I think one thing about passive activity uh, losses that to, to really get comfortable with is, is for rental real estate. Um, that one has been on the exam a lot over the years. And sometimes, sometimes it's the only question that shows up on the exam related to passive activity. Uh, so I think it's just a must have kind of uh, topic. And just in short, um, you know, normally, one's uh, passive losses can only be claimed to the extent that they have passive uh, income. I mean, first we apply the uh, at-risk piece and then we look at passive income and the loss can be clipped by either one of those in a, in a given year. Uh, but that's not the case for the uh, rental real estate, the, you know, just the casual person that owns a few uh, a few three flats or something, right? Um, so with that, up to $25,000 can be deducted against other types of income. It's not restricted to just deducting against passive 
income. It can apply to other forms of income. Um, and then it does get phased out uh, when a person's AGI um, gets over 100,000 and we start to have a phase out of that $25,000 top end, um, $1 for every $2 over that, uh, that top end. Uh, but that's a, it's a straightforward thing to understand, I think. And, and, and you'll see it, you'll recognize it in the question, oh, this is just a, a guy that owns a rental property. Uh, what can they do? That's, that would be the setup for it. Uh, so I just, I really flag that one as I, I would want to know that even if I don't feel real comfortable with all the other things with passive uh, activity, uh, master that one. Okay. I like that one, Mike. Yeah. yeah. Good pick. And I love the, uh, what that could do for a taxpayer, like you said, with, with offsetting other, the, you know, earned income, portfolio income, that's something that's really rare with, with passive income. Like usually we're in that silo. We're in the passive activity silo. You can't get out anything that's going to be beneficial outside of that space, but this at least gives them a little bit of hope. And, um, this applies to those active participants for real estate out there. So you, you might even qualify for this without having to, to be the more stringent what the IRS calls material participant. Right. So there's, you know, you only have to be 10% owner and you have to be involved in the managerial activities of that property. And that at least deems you an active participant. And then the, the, the AGI piece is obviously the other one here. How much of the losses can we actually use? But yeah, that's a, that's a solid one. That one's easy to get. I, I think it also surprises a lot of clients out there, right? It's like, oh, we have this really cool thing that you could possibly, you could possibly benefit from. And um, that's why it's in that, in this pool and it's, it's so popular, but really solid pick there. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. Am I closing it out? Closing it out today? Yes, sir. Make it a good one. My final pick is a bit of a falling star, but still very relevant. So not as important as it used to be, but still shows up on the exam. And that, of course, is charitable donations. And the reason why it's a falling star, sadly, it's kind of sad to think that, you know, charitable donations are on the out. (laughs) But Ever since the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act uh, made it so that you could not deduct uh, charitable donations unless you're itemizing, people don't really do it as much anymore unless they already have a lot of other itemized deductions to take. So because of that, just does or it's not so much that it's that they raise the standard deduction so high that it just doesn't apply to most people. So they just don't really get the opportunity to take the charitable deduction anymore. Uh, but it does still come up, especially for your, uh, you know, high net worth clients. And because of that, it still gets pretty heavily tested on, on the exam. Uh, but I would really recommend students spend some good quality time memorizing that charitable deduction table. Um, you know, really what you have to ask yourself is what type of donation are you making? Because there's three types. There's, you know, cash, cash is always king. But then you can also make a donation uh, of assets valued at fair market value. And then you can also make a donation of assets valued at their cost basis. So depending on if it's cash, fair market value, or cost basis is going to depend on how much uh, percentage-wise you can make of your AGI. And then 
lining up with that, you also have to figure out, are you donating to a public charity or a private charity? So you kind of have to cross-reference there. Okay, I'm donating fair market value and I'm donating it to a public charity. Uh, Okay, I can take 30% of my AGI. Uh, Or, oh, I'm donating uh, assets valued at cost basis and I'm donating it to a private charity. Okay, that means I can do 20% of my AGI. We got a real handy table uh, in the textbook that kind of lays it all out. And I really recommend students memorize that, but it's certainly something that'll pay dividends for you on the exam. If you spend a little bit of time just kind of memorizing how those interactions work and how much of a charitable donation you can actually uh, take as a deduction on your taxes. Mic drop. You know, and I'll add uh, something in that area um, that I think is highly testable, uh, qualified uh, charitable distribution from uh, from an IRA that has been showing up on the CFP exam. So make sure you, you, you give a look to that and understand uh, the rules. I don't know how quickly the newest rules will make it into the exam. You know, before we've been looking at $100,000 uh, from an IRA to a qualified charity and um, and then that's changed uh, fairly recently where 50, another 50 could go to like a charitable annuity. Um, and uh, I just don't know when that'll show up on the exam. Adam, you might have some thoughts on that, but but the $100,000 piece has been on the exam in, in recent years. So um, I can't remember which act put that uh, charitable uh, annuity piece in, but, um, it was, it was fairly recent. You may have more detail on that, Adam. <clears throat> yeah, that's, um, I can't remember the, the act off offhand. Definitely one, one place that you can break from. I, I love this pick Jerry, because you can go a whole lot of different ways. You can tie in the basics, right? That this is actually, this is part of your below the line deductions on the itemized side. You could tie in standard deduction and comparing that. Um, one one little add-on that I have is uh, you rightly point out Tax Cuts and Jobs Act passes, standard deduction almost doubles across the board. Uh, the stats on that were about 15% fewer taxpayers were itemizing as a result. It was pushing a lot of people towards a standard deduction. And to really get the tax benefit of, of giving to a charity, you gotta you have to itemize, like you, you pointed out, Jerry. Um, what some taxpayers will will do, uh, and the wise thing to do is to start bringing several years worth of potential donations together, and then putting them into something like a donor advised fund, or just making an outright contribution uh, to the charity in a year that you're going to itemize. Uh, a lot of different paths here. And like you pointed out, Jerry, I think the, the table that we have in our, our BIF review is, is vital here. We tell our students to memorize it cold. And, um, and this, this too, this goes even deeper and, and it, it, deeper into fair test game territory, um, use related use unrelated property. I mean, that's fair game for the exam too. So this is, yes, it's, it is one of many itemized deductions, but it's an area where you really got to know your stuff and, and you got to go deeper. You can't just get the basics and, and feel comfortable going by because they'll get you with some of these, but. Excellent pick. Wish I would have thought of that when I was I was getting stumped before, man. 
<laughs> for sure. Gotta keep the best ones in the back pocket. Well, that close out this session of our draft pick episodes. We are uh we're over the hump, boys. We're more than halfway through now. All we got is retirement and estate left to do. All right. Retirement. Do I get to pick first on retirement? Uh, if you, I kind of feel bad because you haven't, because of the way the snake draft works, Mike never gets to pick first. Oh, He's really? A... You noticed that, huh, Jerry? <laughs> well, you're, you're always just the monkey in the middle, but that's good because some, ne- like, some episodes I'm worse off and some episodes Adam's worse off, but you're always, you know, comfortably in the center of that bell curve, you know, comfortable in the middle. <laughs> And yet I make these amazing picks, even <laughs> at that disadvantage. Uh, Mike, Mike in the middle. I mean, I think it might be an advantage depending on how you look at it. Yeah. All right. Consistency, consistency, consistency. <laughs> well, that does it all uh, for this episode. Uh, just closing out. I just want to mention uh, looking at the analytic uh, analytics, uh, did you guys know 80% of our listeners aren't actually subscribed to the podcast, which blows my mind. So if you guys are listening to this right now and you have not subscribed to the Biff Bites podcast, what are you guys doing? You're going to miss the episodes. Uh, you know, we're going to miss the exciting conclusion to our draft battle. So make sure you hit the subscribe button on your iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. And that way we will show up with our warm, welcoming voices in your podcast library every Friday. So do me a favor and hit that subscribe button. And with that, we are signing off and we will see you all next week. Take care. See ya.